Well, uh, several of us have experienced some kind of healing from the Lord in this room. Several of us have yet to experience a healing with respect to something that's current in our lives. And I think God wants to say something to us about that today. And by way of getting there, uh, I want to do a little bit of review and a little bit of lead in to our reflections on and our study of um, what Matthew tells us in his gospel, chapter 8. So let me encourage you to get your Bible, open it up to the gospel of Matthew, and get to the 8th chapter. And we can look at some of those verses together in a moment. But let me lead into that, first of all, by reminding us of some of the things that we say that we claim to believe around here. For example, we believe that the most important person in the entire universe is God. He is preeminent. He is supreme. He is the one that uh, deserves ultimate glory and deference too. We also believe that our greatest need is to know Him, to have a relationship with Him, to have a connection, a meaningful, life-giving kind of connection with him. We also believe that our greatest problem, therefore, is related to that need, and that is that we're separated from him. That uh, he, he is a God who is holy, who is blameless, who is righteous, and we are not. And that kind of uh, difference separates us from him. So that's our greatest problem because our greatest need is unmet in being connected to the greatest person. And we believe that the supreme greatest event in all of history was that God, out of his love and out of his mercy, clothed himself in flesh, became a a, a man, a person just like you and me, came into this world, lived a sinless life, and then died a substitutionary in your place and in my place, atoning, making it right, justifying us kind of death so that we could have forgiveness of our sin and be reconciled to a holy God. Greatest historic event, greatest thing that's ever happened for us. And therefore, our greatest purpose is to know that, to live that, to experience that, and to share that with others who need that good news that you can know the great God with your great problem being overcome so that your greatest need is met. Now, how do you go about conveying all of that huge eternal truth? Particularly in a day when it was just beginning to be seen and to be known. I mean, we got 2,000 years of history of rehearsing that and and knowing something about that and studying that and reflecting that and and teaching that and so on. But in Matthew's day, it's hot off the press, right? I mean, it's just unfolding. It's just happening. How do you get at addressing all of these eternal matters, these eternal truths? Well, Matthew decides uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God's leading him, that he should write if you will, kind of an evangel, a good news piece that will tell people what God's been up to and what he is doing now. And we refer to that as the Gospel of Matthew. 
And as you uh, may have noticed, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and we have four, including John, Gospels in the New Testament, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke especially are very similar to one another. So if you've read those Gospels, you're like, seems like the same material. Why, why do they keep repeating these things? If you look at each of those Gospels with a little closer inspection, you'll find that they, not, uh, they don't just contain similar information, similar content, but they do something different and unique with that content from each other. Because they are addressing different groups of people. And so, for example, the Gospel of Luke, who is written by a Gentile, is especially concerned to make the Gospel make sense to non-Jewish people. Matthew, on the other hand, is a Jew. And he's especially concerned to make the gospel make sense to Jewish hearers and readers. And so he approaches the telling of the Jesus story of the gospel of the good news with uh, a Jewish audience, especially in mind. That's why he begins with that long genealogy at the beginning of the book. He wants to show you this Jesus is a fulfillment of prophecy. It was prophesied that the Messiah would be a descendant of David. Let me show you the whole genealogy here. See how he's related to to David? And then he goes into showing how Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of how he came into the work and the ministry of saving us with the announcement of John the Baptist. All that had been foretold. And then he, he takes us into this section of his writings where he has collected a bunch of stories of Jesus's teaching and of Jesus's miracles and, and, and mighty works, his healings. And the way that you know about these things is that you can see him developing something either with a geographic parenthesis or with a literary parenthesis or both. And in this case, he's done both. So, for example, what we have been reading for the recent weeks and what we're going to see today all happens just north and west of the Sea of Galilee, just about where you see that arrow. Uh, Beginning in chapter 5, we're told that Jesus goes up into a mountain and there he begins to teach. And we refer to all that teaching as the Sermon on the Mount, right? Chapter 5, 6, and 7 is what we have been doing for these weeks, and we've just finished that last week. Now, geographically, Matthew will show Jesus coming down from the mount and going over to the city of Capernaum, right on the north and kind of west shore of the Sea of Galilee. And so you'll watch all these things unpacked within that geographic parenthesis. But notice what he also did. Uh, with respect to a literary parenthesis or literary bookends, if you want to look at it that way, that begins for us in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, and note what it says. And he, speaking of Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Taught and healed. Move all the way to chapter 9, verse 35, and it's almost exactly verbatim what he said back in chapter 4. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, 
teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Those serve for us as bookends so that uh, the writer can accomplish what he's trying to convey and what he's trying to communicate with all the material that is in the middle of that. Are you with me? I just gave you a bunch of technical stuff that some of you are going, I don't care about that. So what's the Bible say? Uh, We have to get at what the Bible says by seeing what the context is for the content. Okay, staying with me? So there's one thing that Matthew is especially getting at between chapter 4 and chapter 9 with all these stories of the teachings and the miraculous healings. There's one thing that he's getting at. And that's what we're going to focus on today and the next four weeks. And that is the authority of Jesus. You say, how do you know that? Well, the teaching, Sermon on the Mount, is in chapters 5, 6, and 7. When you get to the end of chapter 7, verse 29... Matthew points out that everybody, this big multitude of people that had gathered on the mount for the Sermon on the Mount, were responding to the teaching of Jesus, verse 29, amazed that he is one with authority. See, that's why Matthew just gave you all that teaching. Now, the teaching has all kinds of implications and applications, and it's of great importance for us to mind it all out. And we've been doing that over the last few weeks. But ultimately, it was about to show the authority of Jesus. And now, as we turn a page and we get into chapter 8, and we look at all of chapter 8 and all of chapter 9, which is what we're going to do over these next few weeks, we will see him using miracle story after miracle story to underscore the authority of Jesus. Now, let me give you a preview of what we're going to look at. We're going to read chapter 8, verses 1 through 17 in just a minute, so get that open. And what we're going to see unfold are, are three healing stories that Matthew has put back to back. It's, un- it's important for you to understand how the gospel writers have, have done their writing because when you're reading Matthew and then later you read Mark and then later you read Luke, you're going, you know, they told the same thing, but they told it in a different order. I don't understand the, the logical sequence here. Well, they didn't use logical sequence in terms of history. They weren't trying to say this happened on day one, this happened on day two, this happened on day three. They are collecting their materials to make a point. And Matthew collected these to make the point of Jesus' authority. And here he he does that with three healing stories. And the first has to do with a leper. And what you're going to see is that the leper represents those who are religiously unclean, ceremonially unclean. In other words, this is the last person on earth that God ought to want to be invested in and to help and to do anything in his life. And then the second story is going to tell us about a Gentile, a Roman centurion. And again, Jews don't have anything to do with Gentiles. And so they are the racially unclean. But you're going to see that Jesus, because he has the authority to do so, wants to be involved in this guy's life. And then in the third place, we'll be introduced to a woman who just happens to be the mother-in-law of Peter. 
And he's going to do the healing with her. But she kind of represents the categorically unclean. That is to say, women. Sorry, moms. But in that ancient day, women were second class citizens. They were kind of an afterthought. Uh, The male was the main deal. Except for Jesus correcting that. And so let's get into the text. Hopefully uh, you're ready to read with us now. And some of this will begin to unfold and make sense to you. Picking up in verse 1. Now when he, Jesus, came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying... Now listen to what the leper said. It's very important. Lord, if you will... You can make me clean. You can heal me. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will, so be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleaned, cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. And then, uh, when he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appearing to him, and appealing to him, Lord... My servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority. There's the word. With soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west. And recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed in that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick. 
And this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. All right, a whole lot there to think about. Keep, keep it open so you can look. We're just going to go right down and, and talk about what happened there. Here's some things that you should note. First, notice how the leper defers to Jesus' authority. Now, this is huge for you and me today. Now, a quick reminder, leprosy is a disease of the skin. And, uh, you know, the person would begin to have this rotting, decaying thing going on with his skin uh, to the point that he would begin to lose fingers. He would begin to lose toes. His nose might drop off. All kinds of horrible ears would drop off. All kinds of horrible things would happen with leprosy. And it was a very misunderstood kind of uh, deal in this day. And so because of that, um, when you were diagnosed with leprosy, you basically then were sentenced to be away from humanity. You had to go away. You could not come to a city. You could not come to any place where there was a gathering of people. You couldn't go to the synagogue or the temple uh, because you were unclean. If anybody touched you, they also would be unclean. Now, anybody in their right mind who had leprosy would want nothing more than to be healed and to be delivered from their leprosy. To be able to not only have wellness again, but to have connection again. Being able to communicate and connect with people again, right? All kinds of things at play here. And so we're told that the leper comes up to Jesus and prostrates himself. Uh, Matthew says, Neil, uh, Mark and Luke said he fell on his face. Prostrates himself before Jesus And he doesn't just say, please, heal me, heal me, heal me. I mean, it's not about him. Notice what the leper says. If you will, if it fits with your eternal plans and your eternal designs and your eternal purposes, I know you can heal me. And Jesus said... I will. And he reaches out now in other miracles. He's going to just speak the word, right? Because that's all he needs to. He just needs to think a thought. He didn't have to speak a word. He's, you know, got that kind of capacity. But he chooses to touch the leper, which was all kinds of messages to the onlookers. And the man is healed of his leprosy. And Jesus then instructs him. To not talk to a bunch of people about it right now, but to make a trail immediately south down to Jerusalem. Go to the temple, show yourself to the priest, and explain to the priest what happened. Now, there's a big multitude, you know, there in Capernaum, uh, or just on the outskirts of Capernaum, uh, where Jesus is doing this. And so the man could have been there for days, just telling his story over and over from those who had been just at a distance enough. They couldn't see exactly what went on. And so Jesus said, don't tarry with all of that. I want you to get out of here. I want you to go right down to Jerusalem and go down to the temple and show yourself there as having been cleansed and healed. Just like the Levitical law says for you to do, according to Moses. Now, that's another whole subject about what Jesus was up to in, you know, the man taking the testimony down to the priest. But let's come back to the man. 
see as self-centered type people, we zero in on the fact that he came, he asked, he got, he was cleansed. I want that. What we cannot miss is his deference to Jesus' will. I want so badly to be cleansed and healed of this leprosy. But nevertheless, if it's your will that I endure with this leprosy, I'll be okay with that. Do you see why Jesus was wowed and marveling at the faith that he was seeing in the leper and in the centurion? We'll talk about the centurion in just a minute. But this was not common everyday faith in the Jewish community. Let's go ahead and talk about the centurion for a moment. And notice in that little block of material, unlike anybody else that Jesus had ever encountered, the centurion comprehended Jesus' authority. And so, uh, you know, he knows the routine. He's lived in Israel for a while, and he knows that Gentiles and Jews don't have anything to do with each other, that a, a Jew would consider himself tainted and unclean if he had touched and gone to the home of and actually fellowshiped with a Gentile. And so he wouldn't even think about asking Jesus to come to his home to help his sick servant, who is very dear to him, it's like a son to him. But he's concerned about his servant. And so, you know, I I wouldn't think to ask him to violate all of that societal taboo. But I think he can do something for my servant. And so he comes and with some distance between him and Jesus, he says, I've got a very sick servant who's like a son to me at home. He just makes a statement. And Jesus' response in the version that I read, and most of you reading in the NIV, uh, has Jesus more or less making a declarative, okay, I'll come home with you and heal him. But more uh, accurately, it's, it comes back to the centurion as a question, would you have me come home with you? And he says, oh, no, 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 I would never have that. But here's what I know, because I'm a man under authority. And I know what it means to tell somebody to do something and they do it. I recognize you're a man of authority. You can just say a word and it will happen. And he wowed Jesus. Jesus just doesn't get wowed, but he got wowed by the centurion. Never seen faith in all of Israel like this Gentile Roman soldier. Because, you see, as far as the centurion understands about himself, he's not strong. He's over 100 men, right, as a centurion. He's not stronger than all 100 men. He can't make them do anything unless he has an authority that comes from the entire Roman army being behind him. The entire Roman army is behind him saying to all these soldiers, you will do what the centurion says. If you don't, you answer to us, right? So that's the way authority works. And he recognized that Jesus had this authority from, if you will, above, from beyond. 
And he said, you, you can just say the word and it will be done. And so Jesus does. And the boys heal. Now, Matthew uses that story to make this penetrating, profound, theological declaration. Just because you're of the right race, just because you're Jewish, just because you're descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, does not mean that you inherit the kingdom of heaven. The one in authority determines who is in and who is out. And Matthew uses this little story to his Jewish audience to say, Friend, your only hope of heaven is that you put your faith, your hope, your trust, your confidence in Jesus. Don't put it in your ancestry. Because I'm here to tell you from far as the east is unto the west, there will be all kinds of people that come and sit at the table. That's talking about getting to heaven. Sit at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But many sons of the kingdom, many Jewish people, will not. Because they had their hope cast in their ancestry, their race, their blood lineage, their practice of you know, all their ritual and stuff like that rather than in the saving work of God that came through Jesus. They were, Matthew's clarifying the whole authority picture. And then in the last place where he uses the story of healing Peter's mother-in-law, he uses that as a springboard to say, after this healing of Peter's mother-in-law, which is in the evening, then just out of the woodwork, just out of everywhere, people began to besiege that home, the possessed, the sick, the diseased. And, and just through the night, Jesus began to heal and touch and speak a word to all that he was uh, setting free. And we're, we're, that whole passage is then closed with verse 17 taking a quote from Isaiah, the ancient prophet, that says, here's how he could do that. Here's how he has the authority to do all of that. He has taken our sicknesses, our illnesses, into himself. He has borne our diseases. Does that, does that make sense to you? Because when I, when I read that, when I contemplate that, I'm immediately, I take a flashback. Um, to uh, Stephen King's story, The Green Mile. Do you read that or see that movie, The Green Mile? It's a story around this character named John Coffey who has this peculiar, unique ability uh, to heal people. And he does it this way. If you're sick, you've got some kind of disease, he can lay his hands on you and touch you, and your sickness, your disease comes into his body. And then uh, he would go through this grotesque kind of expelling of whatever disease he had taken out of your body. But he was able to bear your disease so you could be healed. And then, you know, and of course, that's all fiction, Stephen King stuff. But it's kind of a picture of what's true with Jesus. 
by his atoning, substitutionary, sacrificial death on your behalf, he took your brokenness, your sinfulness, all the things that come from sin, sicknesses and diseases and brokenness and, and, and hurts and pains and wounds and all that. He took all that stuff on himself so that you could know your deliverance and your healing. Okay, I'm going somewhere with all this. Are you still with me? Okay. I know this has been way more technical than I normally get with you. But we, I think we had to do that journey not only for where we're going to be right now, but for these next few weeks. How are you going to respond to what we've been talking about? Because here's how it applies to you. First of all, will you repent and follow Jesus? See, everything Matthew's been trying to do in all of these chapters and all these stories is to say there's, there's only one way that you're going to get reconciled with the Holy God. There's only one way that you're going to fulfill that greatest uh, need in life, and that is to have a relationship with God, to be reconciled. There's only one way that's going to happen. There's only one who has the authority to make it happen in your life, and that's Jesus. Will you turn from whatever else you're looking to to save and secure your life? And turn to Jesus. Okay? Friend, if that has not happened for you, then what God was up to in stirring you to come to this service today was this. Will you turn from whatever you've been leaning on and will you turn to Jesus? Ask Him to save you. Ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to reconcile you with a holy God. But here's the second thing I want to ask you about. For those of you that have turned to Jesus, you've staked your life, bet your life on Jesus. Will you then glorify Jesus with your difficult circumstances? Now, here's what we learn from the leper. The leper was going to glorify Jesus with his healing. Right? He's going down to Jerusalem, going to the temple. He's going to tell the priest. He's going to tell the priest how it all happened and Jesus behind it and so on. So he's going to glorify Jesus with his healing. But he was fully prepared to glorify Jesus if he didn't get healed. That's what's so remarkable about that leper. And here's the deal, friends. Sometimes Jesus looks at your sickness, looks at your disease, looks at your plight, and he is willing and able to heal you and to deliver you because that healing will bring glory to him. Now, remember where we started this whole thing. So what's the big deal if he gets glorified? Well, he's the most important person in the universe. Our greatest need is to be able to know Him, to be connected to Him. His glorification draws our hearts to Him. That's why He's all about His glory. It's not because He's an egomaniac. It's because that's our greatest need, is for Him to be glorified so we can see Him be drawn to Him. And so sometimes He is greatly glorified through your healing and through your deliverance. Sometimes He is greatly glorified through your not being healed and not being delivered. Because when you are persevering through very difficult stuff, a la the Apostle Paul, who had the thorn in the flesh that he asked you know, the Lord to deliver him from many, many times, and the Lord didn't, so that the Lord could be glorified in 
the, the difficulties and the pain in Paul's life. Because Paul was saying, whether I get healed or not, it's still about Jesus. I'm going to follow him whether I get delivered of this situation or not because he's worth it. And so there's great glory that happens through a healing. Sometimes there's greater glory that happens when there is not a healing. Are you tracking with me? This is 401 heavy stuff. Because some of you have got some stuff right now that you you brought it to the surface. Everybody else is talking about, hey, I got healed of this, I got healed of that. And you're going, you know what? I didn't get healed of my deal. I'm not saying stop asking. Continue to ask. But like the leper, with total deference, Lord, I would love it if you'd heal me of whatever. But if I can bring you greater glory through my persevering through something that's not healed... Bring it on. And then see, in the third place, would you testify to his authority and power? See, in in all these little scenarios, everybody is saying whether they're they're gonna get the healing or whether they're not. He's it. He's the man. He's got the authority and the power. And and the fact of the matter was, Jesus was in the conversation. They spoke of Jesus. And, friend, it was a pretty politically incorrect day to speak of Jesus because of all the hostilities that were beginning to circulate around Jesus. Right? I mean, ultimately, the guy got crucified. It's pretty hostile. And I realize that we're in a politically incorrect environment where it's not always well thought of to speak of Jesus. But he's the authority. He's the power. He's the hope. He is the good news. And as the disciples post-resurrection began to discover and then to declare, we can do nothing else but tell who he is and how great he is. I know you want us to shut up, but we, we can do nothing else. Now, if you really get that, and I know some of us in the room, we don't get that. But if you really get that, and you're still muzzled, then you, in effect, have said something else is a greater authority. Public opinion, personal backlash. What, that is bigger and more important to me than my being a person of truth. That says, hey, you know, he's the man. He's it. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And so I'm asking you today some really huge, eternal, big things. Will you repent and follow Jesus? Will you glorify him even with your difficult, unhealed circumstances? Will you testify to his authority and power? And will you persevere until the day of deliverance? Now, he has borne all of your sicknesses. He has taken in all of your diseases. The healing and the deliverance will come someday. And for some of us with some of this stuff, it'll happen when life is over or when time is no more and we're ushered into the next.
Will you persevere until that point? I'm just saying up front. Some of us, that's going to be the life journey with an issue or with a circumstance or with some kind of situation that's going on in our life. This is not a prosperity theology that says, come to Jesus, everything will be hunky-dory. It won't. Some things will continue to be very hard because of the glory it brings Him and the formation of Christ it brings to you. Now, in a minute, we're going to invite you to make a confession. It is well with my soul. Not an easy confession when the pain level is kind of high. Bow with me and let's pray. So, Lord, you know exactly circumstantially where every person in this room is today. You know how well the journey is going or how hard and how difficult the journey is going. And like Paul, we believe your grace is sufficient. That there there are eternal and invisible purposes going on all around us to which we are key. To being people of good news. To being people who point to your greatness and your authority. So we pray. Work in us that we might glorify you well. In Jesus' name, amen.